We are continuing in uh, in Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19. And we looked at this a little bit last time, but we're going to continue on this theme. This is the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. But not just Sodom and Gomorrah, but also um, uh, two other cities. And, and the cities of the valley are mentioned in... Actually, in Genesis chapter 14, verse 2, it, it mentions, it, it mentions uh, Bera, king of Sodom, Beersha, king of Gomorrah, Shidnab, king of Adma, and Shechem, king of Zeboam. And there was one other city there. There was a fifth city, and that was Bela, which was later called Zeor, because Lot referred to it multiple times as being a small city. So Zeor means small. And that particular region was extremely plush, and uh, uh, it, it was it was a a, uh, a beautiful area, and it was it was um, an area that was that, that was plush because we see that in Genesis chapter 13 it says Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the valley of the Jordan, and it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of, like the garden of the Lord, the land of Egypt, as you go to Zoar. And remember, Zoar was that small town that was eventually called Zoar. So let me just, just point that out for you again over here. So remember that Abraham lives here right outside Hebron. Sodom and Gomorrah and the other three cities, so a total of five cities are believed to have been in, in, in this area here of the Dead Sea. When, when, um, when, Abra- when Abraham and, and uh, the Lord are looking over it, they're probably on a mountain range around over here because this, this scale bar here, this scale bar from here to here is 20 miles. So when we're talking from this mountaintop, these mountaintops over to here, it's only about... 12 or 15 miles. So it's easy to see down here. This is 1,300 feet below sea level down over here. This is way above sea level on these mountains. So you're looking downward. And so that, that's where they, they're going to see it. And that, that's this valley. We still have not located today. We just know the general region that Sodom and Gomorrah were in. But when the Lord destroyed it, He really destroyed it. It used to be extremely plush now it is extremely dead. That Dead Sea area, just everything is covered with salt, and it's a, it's a very dead area. And the only way you can get it to grow now is you have to wash the land with lots of water, get all that salt out of it. But, but uh, at the time, it was very plush until the destruction. The reason we're spending more time on it is because the Lord uses the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. We say Sodom and Gomorrah, but there were four cities in total that he destroyed. There were five in the valley, one he spared. There were, there were four cities in total that he destroyed, and he refers to this many times throughout the Bible and right on into the New Testament multiple times, referring to judgment that is eventually going to occur, that judgment can occur upon these places. And he uses this, and we'll look at this now. So let's look again in verse 15 of, of chapter 19. Of Genesis, Genesis chapter 19, verse 15. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here 
or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. So the men seized him, seized his hand and the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters. For the compassion of the Lord was upon him and they brought him out and put him outside the city. So we talked about this last time that compassion led them, compassion led them to pull them out of the city. It is compassionate to evangelize. Some people think, oh, we're, we're a little overbearing if we evangelize too much. No. You are, you, you are, it means that you don't care about the other individual. Let them die. Let them go to hell. That's the attitude. The compassion comes when we actually evangelize. The compassion comes by grabbing these people. It says the angels grabbed each one of them by their hands and pulled them out. So you have two angels, that's four hands. And, and you've got four people coming out of the city. So each angel has got hold of one person. There's the two daughters, there's the wife, and there's Lot. And they're pulling them out. It was compassionate for them to pull them out because they were hesitating. Verse 17, when he brought them outside, one said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you. Do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. So you see, he's urgently calling them to run, to flee. There is an urgency in evangelism. There is an urgency. Because what happens is if a person is not in Christ, they are spiritually dead. Dead, dead. They are dead. Now you may say, well, they're a really nice person. That's fine. They're a nice person, but they're spiritually dead. They're separated from God. There's a chasm that separates them from God. That is what the scriptures tell us. And they're telling them, escape. There's an urgency. Verse 18 of Genesis chapter 19. But Lot said to them, Oh no, my Lord. Now behold, your servant has found, if your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have magnified your loving kindness, which you have shown, shown me by saving my life, but I cannot escape to the mountains, for the disaster will overtake me, and I will be, and, and I will die. So he said, look, don't make us escape to the mountain. If I go to the mountain, I'm going to die there. Now, the angels were directing him to the mountain. So, in other words, there was a lack of trust in what the angels were pointing out to him. He says, if I go to the mountains, disaster is going to overtake me and I will die. And it's this constant view that, you know, if I come to the Lord, something's not going to go right. Something's not going to go well. If I listen to the Lord, it's not going to go well for me. And he, he says, he says, you've got to get out of here. So, but, but Lot is saying, look, be reasonable. Let me, let me just go somewhere. And they're saying, you've got to flee. You've got to run. It says, now behold, the town is near enough to flee to, and it is small. Please let me escape there. Is it not small that my life may be saved? And so he's speaking about the, the town of Zoar, as we're going to see later on. Uh, uh, he goes down to the town of Zoar. So that's that Belan, that small town, the smallest of the five cities that are about to be destroyed. He says, let me go into that. He doesn't realize that that one's going to be destroyed as well. So the angels are now going to modify things. They say, okay, we'll spare that town. You go to the smallest of the town. Only these other four are going to get destroyed now. And... and uh, um, but you see, it was not the best thing to have, have happened. It was not the best thing to have, have, have been done. They should have gone and done directly as the angels have said. In verse 21, 
He says, he said to him, Behold, I grant you this request also, not to overthrow the town of which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the town was called Zoar, which means small. So Zoar is the, is the name of that town. And we saw that back in, in, uh, in Genesis chapter 14. The smallest of the towns was Vila, which was then later called Zoar. And God referred to it as Zoar back in, in chapter 13 when he says that land was very plush. Vegetation, really a great place. And so he goes over to that town. But that town was actually just as corrupt as the four others. But it was the smallest of the, of the five that were there. Remember, these were the towns that those four kings that had come down and attacked the five cities, these five cities had been overcome. They had been overthrown by, five, by four kings and they had been all taken into captivity way up into the northern part uh, where it says Bashan and above the Galilee, above there. And then that's where Abraham went and he saved those, those, those kings and he, he opened it back up. So even that near-death experience for all of them didn't shake them out of, uh, out of their sin. And remember what their sin was. We talked about it last time that it was this sin of, of, of homosexual rape that were, they were trying to commit against these angels. They, they, were, they were morally corrupt, these cities. And so, so they, they, are, they flee to this town. But what's interesting, the angel says in 22, I cannot do anything until you arrive there. God had said that Lot was going to be spared. Jehovah had said Lot had to be spared. This angel could do nothing, could do nothing until Lot was secure. He said, until you get in that city, I can't do anything. And uh, so you see that the hand of judgment was, re- was, was pulled back just for the protection of Lot. It's in verse 23. The sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But his wife from behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Now Abraham rose early in the morning and went to the place where he stood before the Lord. And he looked downward toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley he saw, and, and behold, the smoke of the land ascended like the smoke of a furnace. Thus it came about, when God destroyed the cities of the valley, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow, when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. So you see, he says, the cities in which Lot lived. So, so it wasn't just Sodom. There were these multiple cities. There were five cities, and Lot bounced around between the five of them. And he wanted to go to the smallest of the five. So Abraham, it says that he woke up early in the morning. You will see this practice in men of God. Men of God rise early in the morning throughout the scriptures. It says Jesus in in, in Mark's gospel, it says Jesus would rise early while it was still dark and he would go off to a lonely place place and he would pray. Moses, uh, Abraham here, he was rising early and he went out and he stood on that mountain that he had stood on uh, uh, the day before 
with the Lord that evening before. So remember that, that the, the Lord and these two angels came and visited sometime in the early afternoon. Abraham had them in for a meal. Then they're walking out. So later on that afternoon, late afternoon, they're standing on that mountain looking. The two angels go onward. He has this dialogue with the Lord. And, and the Lord says, I'll spare the cities if I find ten righteous. And then it says that the, the, uh, the two angels arrived as the, the sun was beginning to go down, same day. And they go into the house that night. Lot has a meal for them that same night. So they had a big meal with Abraham in the, in the afternoon. They have a big meal with Lot that evening. You get through that evening. It says in the middle of that evening, just as, as the evening was coming to an end, they said, we got to get out of here. And, and here we say, see in verse 23, the sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zoar. So now the sun is coming up. It rose over the earth when Lot came to Zoar. As soon as he gets into Zoar, it says that the Lord reigned on Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And we are told in other passages it wasn't just on Zodom and Gomorrah, it was the other two cities as well. And he destroyed the entire valley. So it rained fire and brimstone. Brimstone is, is, is sulfur, and so there is burning sulfur coming out of the sky on them. And there's massive amounts of salt falling as well. You can go there today, and it is just full of salt. That place is absolutely barren. It wasn't always that way. We're told that in the book of Genesis. In verse 25, and he overthrew those cities and all the valley, the entire valley, wasn't just the cities, everything around, and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. There was no more vegetation. It went from being a really plush place to being a really barren place. That is the judgment of the Lord. When the judgment of the Lord comes, it can go from being really plush to being really barren. We say, well, God doesn't really do that anymore. Well, we'll see. We'll see what the New Testament has to say about that. Thus it came when God destroyed the cities of the valley that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. Remember, Abraham had said, if there be ten righteous. The real motivation of his prayer was the protection of his nephew Lot. And God did exactly what he had to do. He protected his nephew Lot. And he did this, and he says, you remembered Abraham, and he sent Lot out of the midst of the city. A lot of times we pray for something. God knows the real intent of the heart. He answers often the intent and not all the details of what we might ask for. He knows the intent of his heart. And he saved Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. He absolutely overthrew them. And then let's just, just peek at verse 30. Lot went up from Zoar and stayed in the mountains with his two daughters with him. For he was afraid to stay in Zoar. So he stayed in a cave, he and his two daughters. So here's a guy who said, I can't go to those mountains. I'm afraid. It's going to be bad there. So he goes to Zoar. Everything gets destroyed, and then he's afraid to stay in Zoar. And I, I could imagine why he's afraid to stay in Zoar. The entire valley has turned to dust. And just that little city is surviving. Number two, he probably got to that city. He's the only one from the other cities that has survived now. He's the only one that survived. And so they're probably looking at him like, uh, did you have something to do with this? Plus, 
that city can no longer exist because there's no more vegetation. Everything is gone. That whole sea is just so full of salt to this day that this is, remember, the Dead Sea, that's the thing you can go out on the Dead Sea and you can float on it and you just stay right on the surface because it's so dense. And uh, um, and it's a tremendous resource. It's not just of, of salt. It's not just of, of sodium chloride. It's also heavy in, in uh, uh, sodium iodide and sodium bromide, which are even more dense. And, and, that's, and it's actually mined today both by Israel and by Jordan because Jordan's to the right there, Israel's to the left, current day uh, uh, Jordan and Israel, and they both have these big pipes going into the Dead Sea, sucking out water and stripping out the sodium bromide and sodium iodide from that, that heavy sodium chloride. So there's a lot of sodium chloride, but other halogens as well. So it's, it, 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 it's rich in those, 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 uh, uh, those halogens. And so you see that God really means business when he wants to overthrow something. We're going to look at the judgment to come. All right, so we saw the judgment upon upon um, upon Sodom and Gomorrah and those two other cities, and Zoar, though it was spared, it ultimately couldn't last because everybody had to move out of it anyway, because there was nothing there, there was nothing left, there was no vegetation around the city anymore. So let's see what God says about that judgment that occurred, and the way He uses it as an example. You know, so how does God use this as an example to other other parties? But this is in Deuteronomy. This is a in Deuteronomy in this chapter. This is when Moses is about to come into the land. So Moses is here in Moab, and he's about to come around into the land via Jericho. And and uh, he he himself is not about to come in, but J- Joshua is going to lead the charge. But Moab is having a final discussion with the people here in Moab, talking about the, the, the things that God had promised them. He says, look, God took us out of the land of Egypt. You saw it with your own eyes. You saw the way he delivered us. All the people who were under 20 are now about to, they're, 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 they're going to live long enough to get into this land. He says, you remember coming out of Egypt, all the things that God has done. But, let me tell you something, if you do not keep His commandments, this is what's going to happen to you. He has delivered you. He's delivered you, but if you don't keep His commandments, this is what's going to happen to you. And this is what He says. He says, this is what's going to happen to the land, the great land that I'm bringing you into. He says, all its land is brimstone and salt. It's going to be as if He's going to destroy it. A burning waste, unsown, unproductive, no grass grows in it, like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim which the Lord overthrew in His anger and in His wrath, all the nations will say, why has the Lord done thus to this land? Why this great outburst? So what He says is, you're going to come into this land, and it is a fruitful land, and you're going to be prosper here. But if you stop seeking the Lord, here's what's going to happen to you. It's going to be totally destroyed, just like the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and these other two cities, Adma and Zeboim. Just like it destroyed those four cities, it's going to happen here too. How did he destroy those four cities? Brimstone, fire and brimstone, salt raining down. He says, I'll do it again. I'll do it to you. As much as I love you, as much as I've delivered you, I'll do it to you too, if you forget the Lord. The Lord means business in judgment. 
It's not something, oh, well, you know, that was back in the book of Genesis. Here we are in Deuteronomy. You know, is it, that's the old days. Nothing would ever happen to us. He warns them. He says, the very same thing he did to them, he's going to do to you. If you neglect the things of the Lord. It's serious business in following the Lord. Judgment is a serious thing. It is the Lord himself that uses Sodom and Gomorrah as an example. The Lord himself uses Sodom and Gomorrah as the example. Jesus says this in Luke in Luke chapter 17, verse 32 and 33. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. Remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. We just read about her. She turned into a pillar of salt. Salt just rained down on her because she stopped and she looked back. He says, if you look back, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. He says, destruction will come. You will not lose your salvation, but destruction on your life will come. I see it all the time. I see it all the time. Not people turning into pillars of salt, although they might wish that they had. Uh, because I see the torment that comes into their lives. They stop following the Lord, and it's not like, oh, the, the day they stop following the Lord their lives get destroyed. That's not what happens. It's a slow, progressive thing. God is very patient. They stop seeking the Lord. They stop reading the Scriptures. And they stop going to church. They stop having fellowship. They get involved in the things of the world. And lots of things start breaking down in people's lives. Marriages break down. Relationships and families break down tremendously. It's a gradual thing. And you look at them 10 years out. You look at them 20 years out. And they're just like an image of what they used to be when they had been walking with the Lord. Just, just like a ghost in comparison. And, and uh, uh, the enemy has an absolute field day with them. Jesus is the one who warns us. Could you turn, up the, turn this up a little bit? Jesus is the one who warns us that, that we're not to be like Lot's wife. We're not to do this like Lot's wife. That, that if you look back, you're going to lose your life. Jesus is the one. He says that, that, that you're going to lose it. How can I say this? I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just saying the data points that I have seen. When you start following the Lord and then you turn back, there is a great, great loss that happens. And it's, it's modeled in families. It's modeled in the destruction that comes in all of these things. So we are to, to keep very close to the Lord. Or else we, we, we're, we're not supposed to be looking back. That's what Jesus said. Let's see what other things say in the Scripture. In Second Peter chapter 2, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 6 through 9, it says, And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them, made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. All right, so we see here in the New Testament that we are told that he reduced those cities to ashes. Any surprise why we can't find those cities today? He reduced them to ashes. And he says it's an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. There were ungodly men living in that city as we talked about last time. And they were engaged in ungodly practice. And what was the outcome of it? He says, he says, this is an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. You want to mess around with God? He says, I'm warning you. Just like he warned Israel, he says, I'm warning you. He says, and if he rescued righteous Lot 
oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men. Why did he destroy those cities? Because of sensual conduct of, of, of unprincipled men. Sensual conduct, sexual conduct of men brought destruction upon that city. You say whatever you want, I'm just reading the Bible. I'm just reading the Bible. We saw last time in that city, every sector of that city was involved in this. The young, the old, every corner of that city, they were involved in this. And God brought destruction. Within that city, this was normal practice. This was acceptable practice within that city. What did the scripture say? It says the sensual conduct of unprincipled men for by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. So, so um, uh, multiple times, he says, righteous lot. He says, righteous man. He says, righteous soul. So, lot was quite a righteous man. And it says it bothered him. It bothered him. But how much could he speak up? Finally, he says to the men, he says, don't act wickedly. Don't do this to my guests. But he couldn't speak up much because the whole city's into this. It says, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. There will be a day of judgment. This is what the New Testament tells us. There will be a day of judgment. A day of judgment will come. All we're doing is looking at the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and seeing what the Lord says in other places of the Bible, about Sodom and Gomorrah. Jude, verse 6 and 7. And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality, and went after strange flesh and are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. So he says, angels who didn't keep their own domain. That is in, that's from Genesis chapter 6. We read about that. We read about angels that started intermingling and, and, uh, and, and breeding with, with women and having this corrupt race and the destruction that came. And this is what he's referring to. And angels who did not keep their proper domain, keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept into it, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So all of those fallen angels from, from, uh, uh, Genesis chapter six, where are they? God's got them locked up. He's got them under eternal bonds in darkness, waiting for the great judgment day. And then we're told in the book of Revelation, he's going to toss them into a lake of fire. That's what he's going to do with them. He says, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them. Remember, there were three other cities around them. Since they, in the same way as these, indulged in gross immorality. There is a standard of God, of of morality. There is a moral standard of God that doesn't change. Societies change. And societies say, that's okay. Well, that's okay too. And then another 20 years, oh, that's okay too. And then another 20 years, yeah, that's okay too. Everything's okay. Everything's okay. It's just whatever. There's a standard that God absolutely does not change. I'm not making this stuff up. 
This is not Jim Tour saying this. This is what it says. This is what it says. You got a problem. You know what you can do? Just pull out every page of your Bible that, that bothers you. Just tear it out. Throw it away. Tear out every page that bothers you. And uh, um, it won't go well for you. <laughs> it won't go well for you. You think that that will improve your life. Your life. It won't. It says that they, they indulge in gross immorality. They went after strange flesh. And they are exhibited as examples in undergoing the punishment of eternal life. Now this drastic punishment of the fire and brimstone coming down doesn't normally happen right away. God is patient. He waits. He's long-suffering. But what I have seen is you don't see the fire and brimstone, but you see destruction in people's lives. You see the toll that it takes upon them as precious individuals. Remember, I, I've been on campus since, since I was 18 years old. I went to college at the age of 18. I'd never left. I'm still there. So I've seen a lot of people. I've seen a lot of students come and go. I've seen a lot of behavior of people. And then I can watch those people over decades after graduation. What is the outcome of the lifestyles that they have lived? And it's in most cases, it's not pretty at all. I see the destruction of what it brings, particularly in the life of the believer, in the life of the Christian who doesn't walk in an upright way. That is really brings destruction. Because what happens is, is that, that when we are rebellious, God doesn't have to rub our nose in the dirt. There's enough junk in us that all He has to do is just lift His hand of protection a little bit and there's enough junk in our own lives to get us into all sorts of trash. And it destroys lives very quickly. There's a punishment that's going to come, but there's a punishment of eternal fire that's coming. There is a punishment of eternal fire that's in the end. It's not my words. God says that. Maybe, you know, maybe you'd prefer I didn't read these verses, but, you know, it's there, it's there. Matthew chapter 10, verse 14 and 15. Jesus said this. Jesus said, Whoever does not receive you nor hear your words as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Again, he brings up Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, if the word of God is presented to you, is presented to a city, and that city, that individual doesn't accept, eventually you're going to go and you're going to walk out of that city. He says, just shake off the dust. They may have said things to hurt your feelings. Just get on with it. If you want to be a witness for the Lord, people are going to say things that are going to hurt your little feelings. Get over it, okay? Just shake it off and get over it and get going. He says, but for those that reject, it's going to be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for that city. More tolerable. How can it be more tolerable? I mean, that was total destruction. It's more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for that city. That's what he says. He's the one who said that. Why? Because we bring a message of Jesus Christ, something that is far greater than the witness that ever came to Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus even uses another example. He says, oh, Capernaum, this region up here, Capernaum, by the Galilee, this area that Jesus 
had come out from when, when, when he, and, and this was his hometown area. Even though he was born down here in Bethlehem, he went from Bethlehem to Egypt, and, and from Bethlehem to Egypt, which is down there, and then grew up here in Galilee. He said, oh, you Capernaum. He said, if the, if the things, the witness that you've had had been given in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have ex- existed to this day. He says it's going to be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for this land, Capernaum, in the day of judgment. I urge you, if you do not know the Lord, open up your heart to know the Lord. I urge you to do this. This is not my words. This is the words of Jesus. Jesus said this. So we're going we're gonna to close with this verse. This is the way out. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. God has put the truth of the resurrection on your heart already. He would never ask us to do something that's so impossible. He says we are to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and we're to confess Him as Lord. I urge you this day to do this because there is a judgment coming. There is a judgment. How do I know? I don't know. Only because the Bible says so. And the Bible is exactly what it says it is. It is the inspired Word of God. The Bible is exactly what it says to be. It's the inspired Word of God. Everything that God says in that book has either come true or will yet come true. Don't let your life be destroyed. Don't let your relationships and your marriages and your homes and relationships with your children be destroyed. Take this Word of God seriously. I urge you to take it seriously. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for this day. The mercies of God that we have seen already. Lord, I thank You for the truth of Your Word. That judgment, a judgment will come. But Lord, You have warned us over and over again. You've warned us. I pray, Lord, for the unbelievers here today. Oh Lord, I pray, work in their lives. Work in their lives, I pray. That they would open up their hearts this day and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me because I am a sinner. Forgive me. Come into my life. I believe Jesus is Lord. And I believe He's risen from the dead. The grace of God be upon their lives, I pray. Oh, Father, have mercy on these souls. And Father, I pray for the believers that are here, that they would not stray from the truth. Lord, protect them. Lord, our society has just blown away all standards, all standards, and is becoming more and more like Sodom and Gomorrah in the way the standards are going. Lord, I pray for these young people that you protect them, that they would walk according to your word, that they would cry out this day and say, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner. Forgive me. And that they would learn to see that there is absolute and total forgiveness in you. Whoever comes to you, you would in no way cast out. Father, let them see 
the mercy that can rain upon, rain down from heaven, the mercy that can come. Lord, I thank you that the scriptures say, and such were some of you, but you were redeemed, but you were cleansed, but you were chosen. Father, I pray that you would redeem them this day. The mercies and the grace of God be upon them, I pray. And Lord, I commit these young lives to you. In the name of Jesus, amen.